For I've had enough of this world and its pleasures. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. I will arise and go forth to the house of my father. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. House of my young. Shalom, and welcome to today's teaching on the Hebraic roots of Christianity, where we study first century Christianity and the faith that Jesus, whose Hebrew name is Yeshua, which means salvation, taught his disciples. And now, Hebraic roots teacher Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries International. Shalom. I'm Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries, and we welcome you to today's teaching on the subject Paul's Life and Letters, For or Against Torah. This is part four of the series. Yeshua is our Redeemer. He's the one mediator between God and man. He ever lives to make intercession for us. Through his shed blood, we're saved by grace through faith. Now, Paul's going to explain that in being saved by grace through faith, how you're supposed to walk out and live your life on a daily basis unto Yeshua as an expression of thanks unto him for what he has done in saving us by his shed blood, by grace, through faith. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and beginning in verses 1 and 2, Paul in writing primarily to a non-Jewish audience says that they are not to be ignorant that all our fathers were redeemed out of Egypt. So writing primarily to a non-Jewish audience, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. And they were all emerged unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They did all eat the same spiritual meat. They did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Messiah. Now, if you wanted to repeat something, you do so in emphasizing it by saying it multiple times. That is how you emphasize something, is by repeating it. So here, Paul not only repeated his point, but But five times he used the word all to make the point that all our fathers were under the cloud. They all passed through the sea. They were all immersed under Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They did all eat the same spiritual meat. They did all drink the same spiritual drink. And so, therefore, if we examine the literal words of Paul, where he was writing primarily to a non-Jewish audience, explaining to them that all our fathers passed the sea, or came out of Egypt, and they crossed the Red Sea. But that is not literally true. My father and grandfather didn't literally come out of Egypt. Paul's father and grandfather didn't literally come out of Egypt. 
Neither did the father and grandfathers of his audience literally come out of Egypt. So if they didn't literally come out of Egypt, then how come he said that all of our fathers came out of Egypt, that they all passed to the sea? Well, the reason why he was able to say that and tell the truth is that this is a concept of covenants. It's a concept that is in the Torah. So when Paul was writing, he was primarily non-Jewish audience explaining them that all our fathers were in the cloud. They all passed through the sea. He was teaching the Torah from Deuteronomy chapter 29 verses 12 through 14. So let's look at what Paul was referring to or teaching. In Deuteronomy chapter 29 verse 12 it says that you should enter into covenant with the Lord your God and into its oath which the Lord your God makes with you this day that he may establish you today for a people unto himself that he may be unto you a God as he has said unto you and as he has sworn unto your fathers to Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. Neither with you only do I make this covenant and this oath. So speaking regarding what is happening at Mount Sinai, it is said by the one who's making the covenant at Mount Sinai, the God of Israel, he's saying to his people that this covenant that I'm making with you is not being made with you only. But Deuteronomy chapter 29 verse 15, that the covenant at Mount Sinai is being made with him that is physically there, but also him that is not here with us this day. So the covenant at Mount Sinai is being made with two groups of people. It's being made with those that are there, and it's being made with those that are not there. So you can enter in to a covenant contract that was made between two parties, even though the covenant, the contract, you didn't literally sign, but by being a part of one element of the party that was making the covenant, you could inherit that covenant. And one example that perhaps we could understand is in the founding of the United States of America, it was founded with a constitution. And even though today we're not living in the generation that made that constitution, and we individually did not sign that constitution by being born in the United States of America, that constitution, that law, that agreement that was made to govern this land, we now inherit. It is now belonging to us in the means by which we will be governed. And so that's why Paul is explaining to primarily his non-Jewish audience in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that they were to not to be ignorant that they are to see themselves as if they came out of Egypt. Don't be ignorant of that. And thus that they themselves were at Mount Sinai because the covenant that was made at Mount Sinai was made to those that was there and to those who was not there. So what is the name of the entity of the people that were there? We're told that in Exodus chapter 19 verse 3. And Moses went up unto God and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob. So the name of the people at Mount Sinai are biblically the house of Jacob. 
Now, who did the house of Jacob consist of? The house of Jacob consisted of the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who lived in Egypt and followed the instruction that was given to them by the God of Israel through Moses that they were to put the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. And so the ones that did that were physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but the decree by the God of Israel is that anyone in the land of Egypt, any household that did not put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, that their firstborn would die. And so that there were Egyptian families. There were families that were not physically descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who happened to put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And the scriptures refer to this group of people in Exodus chapter 12, verse 38 as the mixed multitude. So we're told in Exodus chapter 12 verses 37 and 38 that the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkot and a mixed multitude went up with them. So in reviewing who were the people at Mount Sinai, who is the house of Jacob? That the house of Jacob consisted of the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, as well as the non-physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, called in Exodus chapter 12, verse 38, the mixed multitude. So who do we understand this mixed multitude to be? What were they called in the Torah? They were called in the Torah strangers. They were regarded as sojourners. And in order to be a part of the family of the God of Israel, in order to be a part of the house of Jacob, they came in through covenant by means of adoption. They were adopted or they were grafted in. Now, regarding this covenant family of the God of Israel, the scripture calls the house of Jacob. The Bible compares the house of Jacob and likens the house of Jacob to an olive tree. We find this in Jeremiah chapter 11, verses 16 and 17 where it is written, the Lord called your name a green olive tree. And in the analogy, this green olive tree, it says regarding it that the branches of it are broken. And who is this olive tree? It is in Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 17, the house of Israel, that's the northern kingdom, and the house of Judah, the southern kingdom. Because the house of Jacob at Mount Sinai in their history, as a people. They came into the land of Canaan. They came into the promised land. And ultimately, they had a king that ruled over all 12 tribes from Jerusalem. And this king was named King David. And then following his reign in the reign of his son that succeeded him, Solomon, the kingdom was split in two. It was split into the people of the north, the northern kingdom, and the people people of the south, the southern kingdom. And so now the house of Jacob that was split into two kingdoms is likened to an olive tree, and the northern kingdom is the house of Israel, the southern kingdom, the house of Judah. So Jeremiah chapter 11, verses 16 and 17 is speaking or referring to the literal 
house of Jacob. Literal physical descendants that were descended from the people that lived and were there when the children of Israel brought out of Egypt and they were standing at Mount Sinai. So the literal house of Jacob consists of following the split after King David and Solomon in the northern kingdom and southern kingdom. The literal house of Jacob consists of the literal house of Israel, the northern kingdom, and the literal house of Judah. Now we're told in Jeremiah chapter 11 verse 16 that these natural branches, the literal physical descendants of the people that were at Mount Sinai, they broke that covenant at Mount Sinai and thus the analogy to the olive tree that the branches got broken. And so Paul is going to explain in Romans chapter 11 how that olive tree and its branches that got broken, how it's going to be restored. And there's going to be wild branches that's going to attach itself to the natural olive tree. And those wild branches are going to be grafted in. But because the literal physical descendants of the people that were at Mount Sinai, the natural branches, because they broke the covenant, that in breaking the covenant, the the branches were broken in order to be restored because they have no righteousness in and of themselves, their restoration of the natural branches comes through grafting as well. So Paul explains in Romans chapter 11 that both the wild branches are grafted in and also the natural branches are grafted in and they get grafted whenever they receive the redemptive work of Yeshua through him shedding his blood on the tree. They repent of their sins and they make Yeshua Savior and Lord of their lives. So in Romans, in chapter 11, verse 17, it says, if some of the branches be broken off and you, being a wild olive tree, was grafted in among them and with them, that you partake of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. So we have that the wild branches are grafted in, but not just the wild branches being grafted in. In Romans chapter 11, verse 24, Paul explains that if the non-Jews who he's addressing in his letter to the Romans, if they were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and that they were grafted contrary to nature into the good olive tree, he says, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? And so then we have that the name of the people that were at Mount Sinai was the house of Jacob. They consisted of the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and the non-physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. The non-physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost are the mixed multitude. They're called strangers and sojourners in the Hebrew scriptures in the Torah and they become a part of the family by being adopted or grafted in. So now as it relates to the Torah and the following of the Torah we're told that this commandment was given to the house of Jacob in Numbers chapter 15 verses 15 and 16. One ordinance shall be both for you of the congregation and also for the stranger that sojourns 
sojourns with you in ordinance forever in your generations. As you are, that is the native born, so shall the stranger be before the Lord. One Torah and one manner shall be for you, that is the native born, and for the stranger that sojourns with you, who sojourns with you through adoption or being grafted in. So now given that Paul has established in his writings that you're saved by grace through faith in being a part of Messiah's new covenant family and that salvation by grace through faith is for both Jew and non-Jew, Paul then asks the question in Romans chapter 3 verse 31. And the question that he asks is, do we, that is Jew and non-Jew, do we make void, that means to do away with, do we, Jew and non-Jew, make void, do away with following the Torah because the way we become a part of Messiah's new covenant family is to be saved by grace through faith? That is the question that Paul asks. And so in asking this question, the traditional church says that Paul's answer to that through the way they interpret his writings and his letters that Paul taught that because we're saved by grace through faith and not by any righteousness or merit of ourselves that Paul taught that we're not to follow the Torah as an expression of faith in Yeshua because the traditional church teaches that when Yeshua died on the tree that he nailed the Torah to the cross. So how did Paul answer his own question in Romans chapter 3 verse 31? Did he answer it according to how those in traditional Christianity say what Paul says? That is, we don't follow the Torah because it's been nailed to the cross and it's for another period of time, it's for another age? No, that's not how Paul answered the question. This is how he answered the question. He said, God forbid. Do we do away with the Torah because we're saved by grace through faith? God forbid. May it never be so. And then he says, we establish the Torah. So we, Jew and non-Jew, establish the Torah. We follow the Torah as the way we express our faith in Yeshua, in him saving us by grace through faith. And Paul also goes on to say that the way that we are to express our faith in Yeshua in being saved by grace through faith through his shed blood when we repent of our sins and make him Savior and Lord is we are to follow his Torah by his Holy Spirit. So this is going to conclude our teaching regarding Paul and looking at his life and his upbringing, his religious background, his beliefs in growing up and seeking to be a believer and a follower of the God of Israel, and then ultimately what happened to Paul in his life, in his ministry, once given that he was going to Damascus to persecute believers in Yeshua as the Messiah. And on the road to Damascus, he encounters Yeshua who appears to him, reveals to Paul that he is the Messiah, and then explains to Paul that he is going to be a chosen vessel of 
of Yeshua and that he's going to testify of Yeshua to both Jew and non-Jew. So now we're looking at in what way did Paul testify of Yeshua? The first thing we looked at is what did he say about Yeshua? So we looked at that Paul wrote and explained that Yeshua is God, that Yeshua is Yahweh, that he created the heavens and the earth, that he made covenant with Abraham, that he's our savior, that he's our redeemer, that he's the the mediator between God the Father and a sinful world, that he is our intercessor. He's our high priest, and that when he shed his blood on the tree, that when we repent of our sins and receive his shed blood for the forgiveness of our sin, that's what gives us salvation, that we're saved by trusting, by faith, in the redemptive work of Yeshua the Messiah when he died on the tree, and we're saved by grace through faith. But after we're saved by grace through faith, Paul taught that we are to establish the Torah, Romans chapter 3, verse 31. And the way he taught and explained that we're to establish that Torah is we are to see ourselves as if we came out of Egypt and the Torah was given to us at Mount Sinai, as he explained in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, that that covenant that Yeshua made with Abraham, we are heirs of, as Paul explained in Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, in the same way the covenant that was made at Mount Sinai, that we are to see that we are entered into that covenant as well. And in seeing that we entered into that covenant, seeing that we broke the covenant is how we're to see that we've sinned and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And thus we need Yeshua's shed blood to forgive us of the sin of breaking covenant. And given that it says in 1 John 3, 4, that sin is the transgression of the law, after we've been saved by grace through faith, are we then to live a sinful lifestyle? No. What would we have to do to live a sinful lifestyle? We would have to transgress the Torah. So did we repent of our sins, which means we repent of transgressing the Torah, to be saved by grace through faith so that we would then sin and thus transgress the Torah? God forbid. That's why Paul said we established the Torah. But because we cannot find merit with the God of Israel in our own righteousness and in our own ability, in our own understanding, we cannot follow that Torah. Why? Because we have stony hearts. The children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, that they showed stony hearts in the wilderness. And that stony heart cannot please the God of Israel. So the new covenant is removing that stony heart and giving us a heart of flesh. The new covenant is the Torah written upon our heart and thus the God of Israel wants us to follow his Torah which means he wants us to not live a sinful lifestyle but we cannot do it in our own ability, in our own understanding, in our own strength. That's why Paul explained that the way, the proper way we're to express our faith in Yeshua as the Messiah being saved by grace through faith 
is we're to establish his Torah, follow his Torah, but we need the help and the encouragement and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to do so. And it's only through the help of the Holy Spirit that we can have the fruit of the Spirit, which Paul explained in Galatians in chapter 5. And so we're going to continue in our studies and looking at Paul, his life ministry, and particularly his teachings in his letters in this teaching. Stay with us. Well, that's going to conclude part four of the series on the subject, Paul's life and letters, for or against Torah. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Thank you, Eddie. This is Stephen Morgan, and all of us here at Hebraic Heritage Ministries pray that you have enjoyed today's teaching. If you've been blessed, will you help us to share this message with others? Hebraic Heritage Ministries is supported by your generous financial gifts. In order to help you in your studies and to help us share this message with others, we are offering today the DVD, Yeshua the Lawgiver, for free for a love gift of any amount to the ministry. Hebraic Heritage Ministries also offers a monthly discipleship program. If you are interested in starting a fellowship group in your area, let us know. We would like to help you. Please contact us for more details. Our website is hebroots.org. That's H-E-B-R-O-O-T-S dot O-R-G. We would like to hear from you. Please send us an email. Finally, in order to take advantage of today's free offer, please mention this product offer and... Please mail your love gift to Hebraic Heritage Ministries, P.O. Box 81, Strasburg, that's S-T-R-A-S-B-U-R-G, Ohio, 44680. Until next time, may Yeshua richly bless you.